Howdy, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And Andrew, today we are at where? Eighth Wonder Brewery here uh, east of downtown, Edo, for those in the know. Um, and we are interviewing Jim Buchanan from Buck's Barbecue Company. Jim, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on. And uh, Jim's got quite a story and uh, bouncing all around Houston right now. A lot of uh, talk about you, Jim, and kind of where you've gone and where you've been. So let's go back. Um, all the way back from when you were a wee lad, um, you, you know you've got a lot of interesting background all the way up to um, the the brick and mortar catastrophe, I guess we could say. Um, let's start kind of when you were younger. What you know? How did you get involved in barbecue, or what was barbecue to you back in the days? Well, it's a, that's that's really an interesting uh, point of discussion. My father was in the army. Uh, he is a uh, Scot through and through. His family is from uh, what would be Southwest Virginia, the Marion, uh, the Marion Rich Valley area. Uh, and they do a lot of barbecue over there, but it's not like what we consider barbecue in Texas. It's a lot of heavy salt, a lot of cold smoke, uh, and we ate a lot of smoked meats as a result of that. So uh, he was in the military. Is it pork, beef? They mix? did a lot of pork, they did beef. Um, uh, the Buchanan family in Rich Valley, they are uh, cattle farmers. In fact, one of my uh, distant cousins, was on the TV show Survivor, oh, oh wow. uh, and then had his own TV show about being a cattle farmer in Virginia. Um, growing up in the military, we traveled a lot. Every three years, we picked up and moved. And when my father retired, he retired uh, in the Houston area, out in Katy. Uh, I started to eat a lot of barbecue. And, I and where, where were you eating in those days? Uh, it was pretty much Midway and Nonmacher barbecue. Uh, I went to I went to school with Mr. Nonmacher's daughter, Christy. Uh, developed a real love for Texas barbecue. When uh, I got out of high school, I joined the military. It's been a few years in, and when I got out, decided I would buy a smoker and uh, try to make my own barbecue. I failed miserably. <laughs> what were you What were you making back then? Uh, brisket, pork ribs, and uh, you know, like with most guys that that buy a smoker and start cooking meat, you think you know what you're doing, and then uh, years later, you 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 realize, wow, I really wasn't very good at that. Yeah, I lived in Katy for years, and Nomacher's is one of the first places I went when we moved to Katy. It's been around forever. Talk about old school counter service place. Um, it's one of the few still in Katy. I mean, there's not a whole lot of barbecue in Katy right now, so Nomacher's right there on Mason Road. Midway is over there, kind of towards old Katy. Right. Um, but, uh, highway 90, I think, right? Yeah, it's on yeah. Highway 90. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and you've got the chain barbecue out in Katy as well, but, uh, but we're still to this day waiting for what we call more modern style barbecue to, to open up in Katy. We haven't seen it yet, but could be coming any It'll day happen. now. Yeah. It'll happen. Well, we've uh, said that for years. But. So so you, you were doing barbecue just for fun at the time? Yeah, I would cook barbecue for my friends. They'd come over to the house and fire up the pit and put a brisket on and stay up all night long and uh, go open the lid every was, hour. Was it more about the brisket then or was it about the fun the, the times and the association with it? No, nah, it was just the camaraderie at the time. I mean, I you know, I, I didn't know really good brisket from bad brisket because in Katy, you know, in the in the uh, mid-90s, there really wasn't that good a barbecue out there. And so um, did you move from that into, did you continue doing your own barbecue? Did you get into competition? Kind of what was the next step from there? Yeah, I, I kept doing barbecue for my friends. Uh, and then my, uh, uh, my then brother-in-law said, hey, man, we're going to go do this competition. You should come over and do a, do a competition with us. And I went and tried it and did all right. And I got the bug. Started doing competition. We were competing uh, uh, frequently, at least a couple times a month. 
And so a lot of, a lot of people don't really understand the difference between competition and, and commercial or retail barbecue. And you hear a lot of people, oh, my dad was a great competitor, and so surely he makes a good, good retail brisket. And it's not the same at all. Um, tell us a little bit about that difference and what, what goes on in competition versus what, what you have to do in retail. So uh, in the world of competition barbecue, uh, it's all about really one bite. Uh, you have one chance with a judge to really get their attention. It's a bunch of really good cooks out there. Uh, you know, a competition will have tables of judges. There's usually 10 judges per table. Uh, and you hope that when they open your box, it looks good to them. Uh, they want to eat it and then they pick it up and they get that one bite and they go, wow, that was really good. Um, and it is for one or two bites. And then after that, you're like, yeah, I don't want any more of this. Uh, in the commercial world, you're looking to build a flavor profile and a tenderness profile where people are going to want to eat a half pound or more. And it's totally different than the competition side. And as far as the, the overall menu and the sides, do you tailor that a little bit to the area you're at or the, the location? In other words, right now you're, you know, we're at a brewery versus um, one of the other places you're popping up at Frio, which is a, a, a dinner service restaurant. Do you change what you're doing as far as sides or anything there or how you're cooking? Yeah, uh, that's really driven by what resources I have available for that particular uh, level of service. Like at Frio, there's a full kitchen or even at Lucky's Lodge for the lunch service, I have access to a full kitchen. So I can get in and make a full complement of sides. Doing pop-ups like this, it's really difficult because of the hours and because of the time that you have to spend cooking the proteins. And it's really stripped down on the sides. Uh, usually I have a potato salad, sometimes a coleslaw, sometimes a bean at a, a pop-up at a brewery. But you know, in a restaurant environment, I can cook five or six different sides and know that they're gonna be solid. And that's, I think a lot of people don't realize that about mobile eateries, food trucks, pop-ups, things like that, is you really are dictated based on the amount of space you have to serve, the amount of space you have to cook. You know, product availability is a big thing and it's really hard to navigate and, and cook 100% what you want to, when you want to, when you're in that kind of setup. So, yeah, that's accurate. And it, 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 takes, it, it takes a lot of planning and it takes a lot of figuring out. And, a lot, and I would think a lot of, oh, that didn't work and, and trial and error sort of things. I know we've experienced that you know, a lot when with the cooking that we've done. Um, going back to your competition days, um, I know a lot of people in that, that are into what we call modern barbecue now, everything's about fatty brisket. Well, mm -hmm. in competition, you serve the lean side of the brisket. Correct. Um, other than the burnt ends. Um, so everything is, we've always been told when we did a few competitions that sweet beats heat, um, everything should be geared towards a sweet palate. Is that kind of how you chose to cook when you were doing competition? Yeah, uh, at first it was. You know, I was building a flavor profile that had a lot of sweetness and just a little bit of pop to it on the beef side. Uh, pork side, you're looking for something that's got heat and sweet, something that's going to really uh, stand out from a savory perspective, but then something that's sweet to kind of cool the palate down a little bit. Uh, ultimately, what I settled on with the beef side was using a more traditional seasoning, which was just salt and pepper. It's pretty unusual. Did you do injections or any any of the stuff that you see these days? Yeah, on the competition side, yeah. you almost have to inject it because you're really looking for something that's got a bold, beefy flavor, and you're just not you're not going to get that from beef by itself. All right, and it's going to sit out for how how long before it gets to a final table? Right. So to try to retain moisture, I mean, if you don't inject it with something, there's really I, mean, I wouldn't think there's much of a chance of winning in those major competitions. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. A lot of parquet in the ribs and some of the other proteins yeah. as well. So. Hey now, Johnny Trigg. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's whatever's popular. You know, one of the things that I see with, with 
with competition is how quickly it moves mm -hmm. and, and it evolves. And so if somebody wins with a particular rub, a particular spice, um, you know, uh, Texas rib candy mm -hmm. was one that got real popular and, and it'll just explode and blow up and everybody's using it everywhere you look. And then Johnny Blow comes along and does something and he wins with something else. And now that's kind of the, the trick du jour for a while. Yeah, you. I mean, there, the, the competition is the competition circuit. There, guys are always evolving. Uh, you mentioned Texas Rib Candy. Craig Sherry is a good buddy of mine. He was really one of my mentors uh, when I was on the competition circuit. He's got some fantastic products, uh, and they're they're specifically geared towards the competitor. I mean, it, it, his stuff works for the home cook, somewhat for the commercial side of barbecue, but it's really geared towards the competition cook. And that's one thing that we've seen as well is from the spice side, from the sauce side, if you know, if you're one of those producers and you and one of, and some of your stuff gets final table, you start getting some awards with it. I mean, it's really a boon to their business as well. You know, it's, it's one of those badges of honor. It's like, oh, our rub was used on the award-winning, et cetera, et cetera, from this competition. Yeah, so uh, an another good friend of mine, a guy named Dennis Butterworth with War Pig Barbecue, uh, produces a barbecue sauce called Fubar. And he has a lot of teams using Fubar on the competition circuit, and they're doing quite well with it. And he actually just won uh, this last fall uh, the HEB competition, the Primo Picks, I think is what they oh, call wow. it. Uh, so it'll be in the stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. in the stores now. Uh, wow. But that his Fubar sauce is actually what I use as the base for my pork sauce uh, because he built something that had all the flavor components I was looking for. I add some other stuff to it to get a little more bitterness and acidity out of it, uh, but it, it's a really, really good barbecue sauce that, once again, was born out of the competition. And that's FUBAR that you can get at HEB. That's right correct, yep. FUBAR, for use on butts and rubs. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, let's continue kind of competition. So how did you get away from the competition life? Uh, so I met, uh, I met a guy on the competition circuit named Wes Jarena. Uh, Wes and I became pretty good friends, and uh, one day he calls me up and says, hey man, I just got laid off from a government job. Uh, think I'm gonna buy a trailer and sell barbecue, what do you think? And I said, sounds good, when do I show up? Um, so Wes bought a trailer and uh, branded it Papa Charlie's, which was the name of his competition team, and started setting up at bars around town, and I would show up on the weekends and help him out because he was a buddy of mine and I wanted to see him do well. And did it start at uh, Lucky's in the Heights? What yeah, was the first? Yeah. That's the first time yeah. I had Wes's food. So, so it's, no. it's really, yeah, talk about coming full circle. Uh, his first, I think his first pop-up in the trailer was at Lucky's Pub in the Heights. Uh, you know, he knew the guys from Lucky's, uh, had you know, good relationships with them, and they said, hey, we need somebody to come sell some food at Lucky's in the Heights, and that's where he went. I remember the first time I had it was the now defunct uh, food trailer park that lasted for about a year right. off oh, of uh, Highway, Highway 6, six yeah. and uh, you know Highway 6 and Memorial area. Yep. And uh, gosh, that food truck park, I wish it was a better idea than it had been because there was nothing like that in the west side of town. But right. it was empty every time I went there. And I, I just kept going back hoping that it would be successful. But mm -hmm. you'd have trucks show up. There'd be four or five trucks there. And there'd be four or five people with the trucks half the time. You're like... Come on, West Side. Yeah. It's but something that, yeah. we've talked about a lot, and, and we'll get to this in just a moment, I think, with you, is, is kind of that environment in Houston versus other cities. I mean, Austin's very lucky. There's a food truck park. Every every rock you throw down the street, you'll hit another food truck park, and it's just it's not like that here at all. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you were with Wes, and, and um, the, the second location was um, over off of Montrose? Yeah, so we... Uh, uh, we, we had some connections with a guy that owned a bar that uh, was called Jackson's Water and Holes, now called The Patio. Uh, and they were having trouble having 
consistent food out there. They didn't have a kitchen. Uh, we talked to them. Wes parked the trailer out there and started uh, slinging food pretty regularly and got pretty busy and needed help. And, you know, once again, I'd just show up on the weekends and help them out. He's a buddy of mine. I like cooking barbecue. It was a heck of a lot cheaper than doing competition. Uh, and we had a good time. That's, that's what we found in competition was we were blowing, even in the small small sanction stuff, it, we were blowing 500 to $700 a weekend, and you're throwing the barbecue away because right. you don't want to eat it because right. Right? It's, it's, it's not eating barbecue. And, um, it, you know, you got a couple of plaques. I mean, we, we, we got a call. I mean, it was we did okay, but we just we looked at that and we said, well, we could just show up at a bar and give the food away. And we'd be better off, right? And that's kind of that's kind of how, how we got out of competition, and we weren't in there very long. Um, but there was there was another step with Wes. Um, you followed him over into the Edo area when he got his brick and mortar, uh, right. Papa Charlie's restaurant. Yep. At the time, and um, that uh, that you guys got a lot of a lot of good press beginning. Uh, you guys and rightfully so, doing some great stuff. Mm -hmm. um, lines were busy. We had we got lucky. We had the Super Bowl. We had. The World Series. I mean, you pretty much couldn't ask for for better. And then um, we'll get to Harvey. Uh, so um, between that, you'd made the decision to leave and kind of strike it out on your own. Yeah, I was at a point where uh, I wanted to do something for myself. Uh, you know, I've got an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, really wanted to uh, try and do something, build my own empire, so to speak. Uh, I lost my dad a few years before that. And it was an opportunity for me to do something and kind of a tribute to his legacy. And similar to Wes, right? Because yeah, Papa much so. Charlie's is named after his dad as yep, well. Very much so. Fox is named after your father. So um, very similar and, and obviously a little bit of similar background, both competition and military. Mm -hmm. um, you guys tended to get along pretty well, which is not always easy to do in the barbecue world. Yep, yep. Wes, um, very Wes, amicable split, it seemed like, as well. It was, yeah. 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 I mean, very much yin and yang. Uh, you know, where Wes is not exactly a people person at time, I'm very gregarious and outgoing. And then on those days where I was not a people person, he would be a people person, and it worked out really well. So then uh, you, you made this decision to go get out on your own. Mm -hmm. um, you had some connections with the Lucky's folks. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about the location and then uh, what happened. So uh, the Lucky's Heights location, uh, the guys that own, uh, own that were looking for an opportunity to rebrand it and try to build it into more of a neighborhood type establishment. We're struggling with what to do with the food service side of it. Uh, and we started having conversations and I said, hey, look, I'm looking for an opportunity to do my own barbecue thing. They said, cool, would you want to take over the restaurant or, or the uh, kitchen side of it? We worked out a deal where I was basically going to have a food concession within their uh, within their building, uh, and we would be co-branded as White Oak Beer Garden and Bucks Barbecue. And and for that, you had um, some pits made by Pit Maker, I believe. At the I time. did. And so we'll talk about those pits before what happened after that. Um, you know, you cook with Pit Maker. I know Blood Brothers does. Wes mm -hmm. does as well. Um, and that tends to be probably from the competition circuit. But mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about those pits and why you cook on those pits today. Um, why you're why you're cooking on those even out, out today? Yeah, so uh, I've been using pits by those guys for uh, seven or eight years, uh, really since they they first got into business. Uh, and I'm on my sixth or seventh vault right now. Uh, can't really tell you for sure. Uh, they're fantastic pits. They're they're. They're constructed very well. Uh, they're very well insulated. They're very fuel efficient. Uh, 
I cook hot and fast like some of the other guys that use pit maker and it's just it's super easy to get one of those pits up to 300 325 degrees and, and let it cruise you know that it's it's going to hold temperature because of all the insulation if you have to open the door and get stuff off close the door it's going to get back up to temp pretty quickly and you know when you're using smaller pits like that you you've got to be able to turn over product pretty quickly you know so, so let's uh, let's describe that that pit a little bit so it's a cabinet it's basically like a um, uh, a curio cabinet or I don't know what the hell you call those yeah. things a dresser or whatever right um, you've got maybe five seven shelves I'm not sure how many shelves you got in yours but yeah I've got eight very, in mine eight oh. shelves and and the fire is underneath and it's usually a charcoal or you burn the wood down right not it's not a it's not an offset you're not burning a roaring fire next to it right um, the fires underneath but it is vented so it kind of flows through the box right it's right your meats because if you think about it if your meat's sitting directly above the fire, you're going to get dramatic temperature variations. Right. And so, um, as I understand it, what they do is they they play with the venting so that it, it passes around a several times um, to try to keep it even through the cabinet from top to bottom. For it's almost a reverse flow uh, smoker. So the the firebox is on the bottom, uh, and and it, you do actually have a pretty active fire inside of them. Uh, I run uh, lump oak charcoal with hickory splits on it to get a little more pop out of the smoke density. Uh, the, the smoke path goes to the back side of the smoker and up a plated wall into the cook chamber, uh, overflows, for lack of a better word, the, that plate inside the cook chamber, goes down to the bottom of the cook chamber and then goes back up side channels that are uh, tied into the exhaust stack. Oh yeah, very, very complex design. And, and, and it has to be to try to keep the, and like I said, as you can imagine, air wants to flow, you know, hot air wants to rise. And right. so it's gotta be a very complicated design. Um, anything else about those pits that you prefer or like? Uh, I mean, they just, they, they're, they're extremely well constructed. They, those guys really haven't figured out. They sell a lot of those pits and I'm, I'm a fan of it. Yeah. Pit makers are a local Houston company for anyone listening that's not aware. Um, they're up on the north side of town as most pit makers tend to be in Houston, it right. seems. Um, and I've seen pit makers all over the place. There's a place in uh, Atlanta I've been to called Heirloom Market Barbecue mm -hmm. that's got pit makers from Houston sitting outside the restaurant. That they yeah, there are, five, there are five or six of us uh, in town that do commercial barbecue, you know, as in we're trying to make a living doing it, that are that are all using pit maker. Now you had you had two pits built, I believe, for your new location? I had yeah. I had one. one? Uh, I had one built for the new location and we would order a second one after we got up and running. Uh, you know, we wanted to see what the demand was going to be like at first. So you were getting this built out, you had your pits, you had restaurant equipment, <laughs> you were getting ready um, I mean, within days to open up, yep. right? And then uh, the skies opened up. Yeah, right? so we spent five weeks uh, rehabilitating that property, uh, doing a lot of uh, paint work, uh, remodeling inside. Uh, had the kitchen, you know, had the kitchen all set up, and we were supposed to have our uh, soft open on August 26th, which was the day the Hurricane Harvey decided to pay us a visit. And that um, they they definitely paid that location a visit. So. Yeah. So uh, anybody in the Houston area, you probably saw uh, probably saw us on the news. Uh, it's a two-story building. The entire first floor was underwater. We actually had two semi trucks get washed into the parking lot and into the side of the building. It was uh, it was kind of surreal sitting at home watching it on TV. I was like, wow, that's just fantastic. And, and I think you were able to, to salvage some of your meat as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. In, in uh, a guy here in town named Grant Pinkerton, y'all might have heard of him. Uh, he also has a barbecue restaurant, done quite well for himself. Sent me a message and said, uh, hey man, I got a walk-in cooler with a generator on it. Uh, if you need some place to, to put some of your product uh, just to protect against the storm, I got room for you. I took him up on it and uh, yeah, worked out really well. Grant saved me quite a bit of money. 
That was that was excellent. Um, good. You know, it's one of the things we like to see is camaraderie across. I mean, obviously you and Wes have ties, but it's really nice to see people jump in and help out. It was a it was a tragic event for many people. Um, lots of people lost their houses. They're obviously businesses, um, but you were able to spring back from that, and um, you know, with with a good attitude on top of that, which is which is a great thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate. We didn't lose our house. Uh, didn't lose my cars. Uh, it was a setback, you know, you, you spend all this money and all this time building out a restaurant and you look forward to getting the doors open. There was a lot of hype. People were looking forward to it. Uh, and then we didn't get open. Um, what do you do? I mean, you can go home and sit on the couch and cry about it, or you can uh, spring into action and try to make uh, try to make some lemonade out of it. And that's that's what I chose to do. Yeah. And God, boy, did you ever you're you're popping up all over the place right now. Um, we're here at Eighth Wonder and you're here. Uh, Fridays and Saturday, or is there, what, what are your hours? Here? Yeah, so uh, I'm at 8th Wonder on Saturday from 11 a.m. until roughly 6 p.m., or if I sell out earlier. Last weekend we sold out at 3 o'clock. Um, it was a very, very busy day, but we're usually here till about 6. And then on uh, where, where else are you <laughs> popping up? So, so one of the things to kind of keep you busy and, and take advantage of the opportunities that are out here, you're in three different locations that I know of throughout the week. Yeah, that's tell us about the other ones. Yeah. That's accurate. So uh, we first started up in, uh, popping up at a brewery in Oak Forest called Great Heights Brewing Company. Those guys were brand new. Uh, they literally opened their doors the week that the hurricane came to town. Uh, we, you know, we, we knew them through some mutual friends. They gave me an opportunity to pop up. Uh, it was a you know, good quid pro quo. Help them, help me. We got to uh, put some product out, build a little brand recognition. Uh, and then I was approached about popping up at 8th Wonder. Uh, I know the guys that own this place, and it was uh, an opportunity that was just too good to pass up. We had started to do pop-ups at the Frio Grill out in Cyprus, which is, uh, as we previously mentioned, a full-service restaurant uh, that is owned by the guys that own Lucky's. And, and then, so there, uh, there you're on there on Sundays only I'm, I'm, I'm and in the evenings. On, that's correct. I do dinner service there on Sundays uh, starting at 4 o'clock. They run brunch service until 3, shut down, we turn the kitchen over, and we uh, sell dinner from 4 to 9. And if that's not enough, you've got one other location that you're popping up at? That's correct. We just started offering lunch service this week uh, at Lucky's Lodge in East Downtown, uh, located directly across the street from Big Lucky's, as we call it, which is Lucky's Pub. Uh, we do lunch service there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And on Friday night, I typically stick around until about 9 or 10, selling, uh, selling meat to anybody that's hungry. Right. So you got Buck's Barbecue Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Lucky's Lodge. Saturday at 8th Wonder and Sundays in the evenings um, at Frio Grill. Um, what about your website or, or how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, I'm on social media. Our social media address is at BucksBBQCo. Co. Uh, my web address is BucksBBQCo.com. Uh, of course, you can always send me an email at Jim at BucksBBQ.com. Awesome. And typical menu items that we'll see from you, um, obviously brisket's always going to be on the menu or typically will be on the menu until it right. sells out. Right. Um, one of the more unique items around Houston right now are the espresso ribs that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. So, uh, you know, we had a fantastic rib at Papa Charlie's. That was Wesley's uh, recipe. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to be a copycat, uh, but I liked the rub profile. So I wanted to try something a little different that I hadn't heard of anybody else doing. Decided to try a decaffeinated espresso on them as a base rub uh, and then the spicy rub over the top. Uh, it is a dry rib. I don't put any glaze on it. I do serve sauce on the side. It's a, a, an acidic Carolina-style sauce. It's a nice compliment, but uh, it, it's a pretty good rib. It's it very is. unique, yeah, really good. And, and as you mentioned, it's a dry rib, so don't expect it to be right. basted with sauce because that's 
if you want sauce, you've got it. But um, definitely, I recommend trying it without the sauce. Right. Yep. Well, Hopefully, there's the enough things. caffeine in there to get me going too. It's so decaf. It's decaf. Yeah, I know that sucks. So yeah. the first, the first <laughs> it's, it's actually a funny story. Uh, uh, the, the first time that I made a batch of those, I didn't think to use decaf espresso. Uh, my fiance and I had a couple of the, a couple of them for lunch. She got to work and called me and said, uh, "I think I'm having a heart attack." <laughs> I said, "Oh, maybe I should use decaf." Yeah. So probably probably a better idea. Yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah. No no Red Bull ribs for us. That's funny. We'll, we'll give the guy a shout out. We actually had a guy email us the other day, saying, "Oh, you know what? I'd like to see you interviewed." Jim Buchanan from Bucks Barbecue said, well, you might get your whisk sooner than you think. So Joshua Roy, hopefully you're listening to this. Shout um, out, Joshua. But uh, your wish was granted. Hey, Josh, thanks for that, man. Come by and introduce yourself to me. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we definitely have to give him a shout out. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot on the podcast about how in a crowded barbecue market, doing something that's that no, that they know they have to come to your place to get right. is really a good way to, to introduce yourself to a crowd. And those espresso ribs definitely do that. Um, what are some typical sides that you'll be serving um, most pop-ups? Uh, so at pop-ups, you're probably just going to see a potato salad or a slaw. I do have a barracho bean. It's a true barracho bean because it has shinerbach in it nice. uh, and hey. brisket. It's pretty solid. Um, but at pop-ups, it, it, I'm pretty limited on the availability of sides. In the restaurant setting, uh, I have a full slate. I've got a smoked poblano bacon cream corn that's, uh, that's pretty tasty. Uh, I, I do collard greens. I do. Andrew bacon. and I just gave each other side eye on that one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's yeah. pretty solid. Uh, I do uh, bacon green beans. Uh, I do a mashed sweet potato. I do mashed potatoes. Uh, Mac and cheese, I don't do that very often, uh, but I, I do offer it periodically. I do a uh, a cheesy squash that is uh, a recipe that was created by a buddy of mine named John Miller. Y'all might have heard of him. Uh, decided I was going to serve that one day in Cinema, Texas. Said, hey, man, I'm going to do your cheesy squash uh, and call it John Miller cheesy squash. Is that cool? And uh, he responded in typical John fashion uh, and then quickly sent me a second text and said, absolutely, knock yourself out. And he's really going to kick our ass when we serve brisket stew next week. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, and, and I've had it, and it, it is good, and it's very reminiscent. But it, but you do put your spin on it. It's not yep. it's not a copycat recipe, which is what's great, is when, when people can take something, twist it enough to kind of make it their own, and then and then get it out. And that's that's what's good. You see the signature of you on it. Right. Um, now, you, are, you have longer terms. You're not going to be popping up for the rest of your life. Yep. Um, can you tell us anything about what's kind of up next for Bucks down the road? So uh, we're actively looking for uh, opportunities to, you know, set up a brick and mortar somewhere. The White Oak Beer, Beer Garden location probably is uh, going to be delayed 12 to 18 months. Looks like the guys that own that building are going to uh, tear that one down and put up a new one. Probably not a bad idea because of the location. Uh, I have a couple things working in areas of town I'm not ready to come come uh, go, go public with, um, but we do have some stuff that we're looking at, and uh, hopefully we'll be in a brick and mortar within the next six to nine months. Awesome. Well, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to seeing what the future holds for you. Um, we've been out a couple of times to the pop-ups now, and you know we'll keep coming out. We hope you guys keep coming out. Um, if you see Jim, say hi, order some food. Um, if he's got that cream corn, order some and bring it to us, please, because <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, but uh, no, we, we thank you so much for the time and uh, we look forward to seeing what's next. Thanks guys, appreciate you coming to see me.